0: Good morning. 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 Here we are in chapter 3 of, Gal- of Galatians. And really, I think we could probably spend several hours digging into the riches of each chapter in Galatians. There's so much to explore when you're looking at the canon of Scripture and the ways God has woven the threads of his story from the beginning, Genesis, to the very end, Revelation. We're going to pick up where we left off last week with Pastor Graham. And I'm going to do some rereading of uh, just the last two verses, or a couple of the last two verses that are in chapter 2. Verses 20 and 21 of chapter 2 say this. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. Paul makes his identity in Christ very personal, and so can we. The law demanded death for sin, and Christ paid that debt. Striving and human effort, which is never satisfied, nor is it ever enough, is now replaced, Paul says, by the most intimate of relationships, Christ in us. If it were possible to be justified to obtain our right standing with God through human effort, then there would have been no point to Christ's death. But the opposite is true. Paul here declares that God's grace is everything. God's grace begins our Christian life It makes possible our justification, our being declared right with God, and that same grace is our provision for daily living and for our growth, our sanctification. And so with these thoughts, we enter chapter 3, where Paul further expands on this grace and the faith that calls us to enjoy it. The Judaizers, who were either confused Jewish believers or deceptive unbelievers, we were telling the Galatians that they needed to return to Moses. And Paul said, we need to go back even further. We need to go all the way back to Abraham. And so in chapter 3, Paul juxtaposes or puts side by side, compares faith and trust on one hand with human effort on the other. The first brings rest. The latter brings a lot of stress. With the first, we lean on Christ and we rely on his spirit who lives in us. And with human effort, we rely on weak, unpredictable flesh. Paul explains these two positions in the context of justification, our salvation and sanctification are growing, in the context of two covenants, the Mosaic and the Abrahamic, and in the context of our identity. So, let's begin. Galatians 3, 1-5 reads this way. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Another translation says, who's cast a spell over you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. So the Galatians knew the truth. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish after beginning by means of the Spirit? Are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? Have you experienced so much in vain, if it really was in vain? So again I ask, does God give you his Spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law or by your believing what you heard? There's a warning here that as believers we can be led away from Christ. 2 Peter 3 Uh, verses 17 to 18, likewise commands us to remain vigilant and to make sure that our focus is on Christ. Peter says, be on your guard. And then he reminds us that the antidote to being carried away is to grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And just a little side note from my notes. I read the, um, the book of Jude this morning, which is one short little chapter, but the same warning is in the book of Jude. So it just comes up over and over. In these first verses of chapter 3, Paul begins <clears throat> excuse me, by reminding us that the Holy Spirit is given to us as a gift. The moment we place our trust in Jesus Christ, and it's the same gift, this grace that is ours for daily living Our leaning on the Holy Spirit is done through faith. He empowers us, which is why Paul asks, are you so foolish after beginning by means of the Spirit? Are you now trying to live by means of the flesh? The Holy Spirit is the one who empowers us, not as we stress out on one hand or remain passive on the other, but rather as we intentionally and actively abide, or remain in the vine. Jesus Christ, John fifteen four to five says, "'Remain in me, and I in you. "'Just as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, "'but must remain in the vine, "'neither can you, unless you remain in me. "'I am the vine, you are the branches, "'the one who remains in me and I in him, "'bears much fruit.'" It's a promise. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Abiding, I read this uh, this week and I thought, what a cool statement. Abiding is a love relationship. It's a remaining dependent on Jesus Christ and and it involves an obedience to the commands of Jesus. Abiding is an intentional choice to trust, to walk by faith, not necessarily knowing the outcome but trusting that even when we cannot see it, he will work, and he is working within us, through us, and around us. The fruit we bear as we abide in Jesus is not our own. Galatians 5.22 reminds us that it's the fruit of the Spirit. Colossians 1.27 reminds us that it's Christ in us our only hope. 1 John 5.20 tells us that Jesus Christ is the true God and the only life. Paul was reminding the Galatians, and God is reminding us these many years later, that it was and it is foolish, utterly ridiculous, for us to think that we can live the Christian life, a supernatural mystery, apart from the Holy Spirit. To attempt to go it alone ends up in a legalistic way of life where we are forever striving, forever stressed out, despondent when we fail, and pride-filled when we're better than others. I know that because I've lived it, been there and done that. The mystery of the miraculous is Christ in us through the abiding presence of the Holy Spirit. Paul rhetorically asked in verse 5, does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law or by your believing what you heard? The answer is an emphatic no. The gift was received by faith upon hearing the truth and the Galatians placing their trust in Jesus Christ. And so in the same way, the walking out of the Christian life is to be by faith in this gift of grace, a walking in step with the Holy Spirit, empowered and led by Him. Colossians 2 6 says, and I'm going to read this from the Amplified Version because it truly amplifies in such a cool way. Here's what Colossians 2 6 says, as you have therefore received Christ, even Jesus the Lord, and how did we receive Him? By believing. By faith, so walk, regulate your lives and conduct yourselves in union with and conformity to him. And here Paul turns to Abraham as an example of that active faith. And he pulls two quotes from the very beginning of the Bible, from Genesis. So I'll read Galatians three, six to nine. So also Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announced the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who rely on faith are blessed, along with Abraham, the man of faith. Faith was the requirement more than 400 years before the law was given. Paul first quotes from Genesis 15:6, when Abraham was still Abram. And at this point, Abram and Sarai had no children, but here's what God promised way back in Genesis. The word of the Lord came to Abraham, a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. And he took him outside and said, look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. And he said to them, to him, so shall your offspring be. Abram believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. Righteousness came. Right standing with God came through faith. No works were involved. And then the second quote that Paul uses in Galatians is from Genesis 12.3, which reads, all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. That was the gospel. The Galatians and us would be declared right with God, not because of our works, but through placing our faith solely in Christ. This is summed up in Hebrews eleven one and 2. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients, Abraham and all those like him, what they were commended for. And I think it's so cool that then you go to chapter 11 and all those examples of faith are from the Old Testament. So that's our salvation, but what about our daily living and our growing? Is that all about striving? Is it all about leaning on our miserly, sinful nature to produce something good? Paul again declares an emphatic no. So let's continue reading in chapter 3 of Galatians. All who rely on works of the law are under a curse, as it is written. Cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Clearly, no one who relies on the law is justified before God, because the righteous will live by faith. The law is not based on faith. On the contrary, it says, the person who does these things... Will live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole or on a tree, some translations say. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. To help explain his emphatic no, Paul again quotes from the Old Testament four times. He refers first to the Mosaic law, then he comes back to it later, but he first quotes from Deuteronomy 27, 26, which says, Cursed, doomed, would be another word, is anyone who does not uphold the words of this law by carrying them out. In order to gain right standing with God through human effort, one would need to obey the law perfectly daily. No one has ever been able to do this. Thus, without Christ's death as a substitute on our behalf, behalf, we all are under a curse, doomed. Legalism, then, based on human striving, brings a curse and never a blessing. The second Old Testament quote comes from Habakkuk, Habakkuk, not sure how you, how you pronounce that book. I've heard it both ways. Habakkuk 2.4, which says, the righteous one will live by faith. And then the third quote, Paul returns to the writings of Moses, and he repeats, reiterates Leviticus 18.5, keep my decrees and laws, for the person who obeys them will live by them. I am the Lord. The law is not a walk of faith, but rather, a walk of works. If we want the law to bring us life and to bring it to us on a daily basis, we must obey all of it perfectly every day of our lives. I find that hopeless, discouraging, impossible. The fourth quote comes from Deuteronomy 21:23, which says, anyone who is hung on a pole or on a tree is under God's curse. Instead of us hanging on a tree, being doomed, Jesus Christ chose to do so for us, suffering the curse that rightfully belonged to us. And now in him, clothed with his perfect righteousness, we are given the gift of grace, the promised Holy Spirit for daily living. Only Jesus ever lived the law perfectly, and because we died with him, as we first read in chapter 2, verses 20 to 21, the requirements of the law have been met on our behalf. Faith accepts this offer of grace, allowing the Holy Spirit to live Christ's life in us and through us. And in this identity, these blessings are ours. We've been redeemed, brought out of a dangerous position. We never have to face the curse or the damnation of our sin because Jesus took that curse in our place. We're counted in with Abraham and his being blessed. And we have, in the Holy Spirit, a forever friend, a helper, an advocate. Let's keep going. Verses 15 to 25 of Galatians. Brothers and sisters, let me take an example from everyday life. Just as no one can set aside or add to a human covenant or a contract that has been duly established, so it is in this case. The promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. Scripture does not say, and to seeds, meaning many people, but, and to your seed, meaning one person who is Christ. What I mean is this, the law, introduced 430 years later, does not set aside the covenant previously established by God and thus do away with the promise. For if the inheritance depends on the law, then it it no longer depends on the promise. But God, in his grace, gave it to Abraham through a promise. Why then was the law given at all? It was added because of transgressions until the seed, Christ, to whom the promise referred, had come. The law was given through angels and entrusted to a mediator, and that was Moses. A mediator, however, implies more than one party, but God is one. Is the law, therefore, opposed to the promises of God? Absolutely not. For if a law had been given that could impart life, then righteousness would certainly have come by the law. But Scripture, in mercy, has locked up everything under the control of sin so that what was promised, being given through faith in Jesus Christ, might be given to all those who believe. Before the coming of this faith, we were held in custody under the law, locked up until the faith that was to come would be revealed. So the law was our guardian until Christ came, that we might be justified by faith. Now that this faith has come, we have the Holy Spirit, we are no longer under a guardian. Paul here explains that the Mosaic covenant was for a very specific purpose. It did not take precedence over the promise received through Abraham and intended for all mankind. On the contrary, the Mosaic Covenant prepared the way for the Abrahamic Covenant to be enjoyed by all and to be fulfilled. The Abrahamic Covenant was set in motion many years before the Mosaic Covenant, and its very nature was superior to that of the Mosaic Covenant. And here's why. The Abrahamic Covenant was a legally binding contract. No one could add No one can add anything to it or take anything from it. The Mosaic Covenant could not add requirements or conditions to the promise that had been made to Abraham 430 years prior. And this was because God was the author and the giver of the Abrahamic Covenant. It had been ratified by God 430 years prior. That was different than the Mosaic Covenant. The Mosaic Covenant was dependent on two parties, God and Israel, and it was mediated by Moses. It was bilateral. The Abrahamic Covenant was unilateral. No mediator was involved. The Abrahamic Covenant was given by God and was dependent on no one but God. There was no mixing of the two covenants, and Paul wanted to make that clear to the Galatians. Their purposes were distinct. The promise of the Abrahamic covenant was made to Abraham's seed, meaning Christ and all who are in his family. So it was made to us who are in his family. This was a promise characterized by grace, unlike the Mosaic covenant, which was characterized by merit and predicated on good works. So the Galatians rightfully would have asked, why then or of what use is the Mosaic Covenant or the law? Its purpose was never to save. It was rather, here's how Paul described it, a chaperone or a tutor. Paul describes the law as fulfilling the same role as male slaves would have uh, filled at that time who served the children of rich families. The responsibility of those tutors was to keep young sons, the young sons of these rich families in line, and out of danger. In like fashion, the Mosaic Law was given to Israel to help the nation know how they were to behave in order to be a light and a beacon to the world. Israel was to look different than the nations around them so that others would want to know their God Israel was to introduce the world to the one true God. The Mosaic law was given him at Mount Sinai and it ended at the cross, where Christ, as a substitute on our behalf, perfectly fulfilled it. Salvation, for those in the Old Testament, and for us today, has always been through faith. The law exposed sin, which it continues to do to this day, but it can never clean it It shows that all humankind is imprisoned by sin, helpless, hopeless, on our own, too weak to unshackle the chains that confine. In that doomed, dangerous position, how sweet and life-giving is the promise. In his grace, God shows us the mess that we're in. He does that through the law so that we're ready to accept his gift of grace. His Spirit, the Holy Spirit, living within. Romans 11.32 says, God has bound everyone over to disobedience. Why? So that he may have mercy on them all. And Romans 5.20 says, The law was brought in so that the trespass might increase, so that we might really see what a mess we are in. But the greater our mess... The greater is grace, because it covers it. To wrap up this section of Galatians, Paul clarifies our identity in Christ's family. And we'll wrap up with this, Galatians 3, 26-29. In Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. The context here is equality in worth and value and dignity. No matter race or economic status or cultural position Or man or woman, all are welcome at the foot of the cross. And there, having placed our trust in the work of Jesus rather than our own, all of us are accepted, clothed, made complete. Here's what Jesus said to his disciples before his arrest and crucifixion. And again, I'm gonna read it from the Amplified Version. He's told his disciples, I'm going to ask the Father, and the Father's going to give you another helper, comforter, advocate, intercessor, counselor, strengthener, standby, to be with you forever. The Spirit of truth. He remains with you continually and will be in you, I will not leave you as orphans, comfortless, bereaved, and helpless. I will come back to you. And he did come back. He rose from the dead. That's one way he came back. But then he also came back in the presence of the Holy Spirit. And the Father has given us the intimate, abiding presence of the Holy Spirit for daily life. I'm going to end with praying, but Words often fail me if I don't have something written in front of me. So I'm going to use a prayer from Ephesians 1, which I think just reiterates what Galatians is saying. Let's pray. Father God, we bow our knees before you. The Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, asking that you would give us And make us sensitive to the spirit of wisdom and revelation that you've given us so that we might get to know you better. May the eyes of our hearts be enlightened so that we will know these three things. The hope of your calling, your riches, your inheritance in us, and the greatness, the surpassing greatness of your power toward us who believe. These are in accordance with the working of the strength of your might, which you brought about in Christ when you raised him from the dead and seated him at your right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named not only in this age, but also in the one to come. Amen.